Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode of Reach is brought to you by our sponsor, Jackie, another secret weapon that executive assistants and women who do it all need to know about. You guys all know that feeling, right? Staring at your closet and thinking to yourself, I have so many clothes and yet nothing to wear. That is why Jackie is here. Jackie is a high-end boutique subscription styling service that you apply to join. What I love about Jackie is you get to develop a relationship with your stylist. Your stylist is someone you can text or call or email with specific wardrobe needs or ideas you have. Or maybe there's an upcoming event or trip or meeting or even a wedding that your ex is going to be at that you really, really, really want to look fantastic for. Those are exactly the types of scenarios a Jackie subscription can help with. Each box from Jackie is filled with high quality clothing and accessories. Jackie is here to help all of us embrace our style and our confidence. This is subscription styling done right for the women who do it all. So apply to join Jackie and fall in love with your style this year. Visit shopjackie.com to apply to join and be sure to tell your stylist Maven sent you with code MAVEN20 for 20% off all the items kept in your first box. Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Reach. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group, Jessica Van, and today I have Joy Caves. Um, welcome, Joy. Thank it's you. It's a pleasure to have you. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, Joy is uh, is here joining us. She is the executive assistant to the head of cloud engineering at Atlassian, a software company that builds software products and collaboration tools for all teams. You may even be familiar with some of their tools like Jira and Trello. And for the purposes of today's discussion, Joy is going to be sharing a fresh perspective on some of the inherent challenges of being a sole executive assistant, something that she knows well, um, as well as how she herself has navigated kind of the loneliness of being a sole EA at different stages of her career. Um, You know, whether that's because of COVID and working remotely, as so many of us are these days, um, or because she was the only EA on a team and was really kind of that island of one. So Joy knows what it feels like to feel siloed. And today she's going to share how she's pushed through through those feelings and some of the strategies that she's developed um, through her experiences of doing so. So I think it's a topic that a lot of people relate to, especially now. Um, even those who aren't sole EAs but are working in a solo or siloed fashion Definitely. may be experiencing some of those feelings um, of isolation for even the first time. Um, so I think it's a really relevant conversation to be having with you today. And you're such an effervescent and upbeat person that I know you're going to put a really great spin and perspective on that. So thank you. Again, thank you. So to get us started. Can you paint a picture of what your experience has been like um, working as a sole EA at a company? Kind of what were the circumstances and and where was that and and what was that experience like for you? 
Definitely. I um, made a transition into my career of being an executive assistant from working in social work. And so to break out of my um, box of social work, I took the first job that came along. And that was working in um, a nonprofit. And so within the nonprofit world, you have very lean teams, you have very small teams. And so you wear all the hats and you do all the things. And and then from there, I branched into working as an EA in a labor union and actually running a labor union office. And again, lean teams, lots of people reporting in, lots of things going on. And so finally found myself moving into tech, working as the executive assistant to a CEO, started on a team where there were two. So there were two EAs in the company. One of the EAs eventually um, left the company, and I was kind of left again on that island by myself. So three different times in my career, I have found myself as the EA of one in a group of 20 to a group of 100 to a group of 250, like just kind of all those mid-size organizations. And I think when you're by yourself, there's a tendency to have an echo chamber in your head of nobody sees what you're doing or nobody kind of knows what's going on or what you're contributing. And so the challenge is how do you counter that echo chamber in order to see your value in the whole and then in turn feel really great about the connective tissue and the bringing together of the company that you're creating within your role. And so that's kind of where I've gone on highs and lows and highs and lows and and highs and lows. And now I'm in a large team, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit. And Mm -hmm. it's the same thing, though, starting by yourself during this time of COVID and still sitting at your computer by yourself and like, how do you break out of that? Nobody sees me. Nobody kind of knows what I'm doing into a place of, no, I'm bringing value. I'm contributing as much and as hard as everybody else and stop like listening to that. So that is kind of where I finally gotten to in my career, but it has taken a lot of ups and downs to get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think too, like as a, as a sole person, um, that collaboration piece is looks and feels very, very different, or even that lack thereof of collaboration, right? And um, I think inherent in humans, we want to collaborate, right? And we want to be a part of things. And so individual tasks, even if you're an introvert and you don't get your energy from being around people, like there's still those opportunities to learn and challenge and grow from each other. That if you feel trapped by yourself on an island and you're the admin of one, then you don't know how to shake yourself out of that in order to build that collaboration and to build those relationships. So as the one and only executive assistant of an organization, there's no there's no denying that you're constantly inundated by work. Um, and because there isn't a bench of people for the exec team or whoever, you know, to go to when they need support, by default, it all tends to land in your lap. So, you know, what what suggestions do you have for how you can manage your workload um, when you're basically the common resource for everyone? It's a great question. And I've thought a lot about it. And there's a bit of it that will default to people's personalities. But for me, personally, I 
I still tried to identify, okay, where is the bulk of my work going? Like, am I supporting the CEO? Am I supporting uh, the head of sales? Who Like, who is my my key person. And there's an, an element of like, I have to give 75% or 50% of my time there. And just acknowledging that that is where that work and that energy has to go. And then looking at those opportunities that bring you energy and that bring you joy and that bring you collaboration as the places to fill that other 25, 30% of your bandwidth, which changes as your tasks change. Mm-hmm. But doesn't change in terms of your focus. Like I personally love data-driven projects. So if you can give me um, some spreadsheets to sort through or you can give me any of those kinds of tasks, that's going to bring me a lot of like energy to work on those other things. So there's a bit of you being real with yourself and acknowledging that these are the things that I'm great at. These are the things that challenge me and this is where my focus is. And then asking for help, which is really hard. Like, as EAs, we just want to fix things. We want to make everything succeed. And so stopping and saying, this is too much and I can't accomplish it all is sometimes we perceive it as a sign of weakness. Sometimes we perceive it as I need to keep more on in order to show people my value or my worth or what I'm contributing. And instead, when you stop and say, this isn't. I can't keep all of this on my plate. Who are the people I can tap to help me? You build those opportunities for collaboration. You build those bridges to take yourself out of the island. Mm. And you um, open those doors for someone else to, say, excel at something, like plan a holiday party. You know, maybe you have so much on your plate that the holiday gift giving or the party or something like that is just a drain to you. But you see a glimmer of excitement in one of your colleagues when they talk about <laughs> gift giving and getting them to to run with an idea or build a plan for you is not a sense of like giving up it's just saying like, this person's going to give a hundred percent to this and I can't right now and and in a way you learn to level up to support the executives you're supporting by pulling more people in to partner with you. Does that make sense? It makes complete yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, and sometimes in order to be better, you have to also be willing to relinquish things. Yeah. Right? Because there is such a thing as, you know, diminishing returns on, on what you're able to offer. Yes. And I think that it, it is actually a sign of of maturity and really knowing yourself to be able to know what's that what's that threshold when there starts to be a, a you know a um a down a downward cycle on your abilities right like kind of what's that tipping point mm-hmm. um and that's so important to be able to recognize and acknowledge so like who have you found you know in the times when you've been this department of one so to speak or this island of one that we keep talking about I keep thinking of Gilligan's Island I don't know why <laughs> it just keeps popping into my head um but who are the people that you've found to be kind of like logical collaborators for yourself during those instances I spend a lot of time building relationships with finance, with legal, with operations, with facilities, Mm -hmm. with if there's an events team or some sort of like team that likes planning things, workplace team, like those become 
A, they're the people that are around your office, right? So they're the people that if you're in the office some of the time or maybe you're not in the office right now and you're home, they're the, the, the people like cranking the machine out, right? They're the wheels that are getting the work done. So by building relationships with your FPNA person, mm-hmm. you're able to go and say like, hey, do I have enough money to like push through this contract that I'm working on to bring on this contractor? Like you're able to ask those things very transparently rather than just being like, get it done. Mm-hmm. Because maybe you have to go back to your executive and, and say, you know, this contract isn't going to fit in this budget right now. So how do we, where do we want to pull from to make this happen? Well, you mm-hmm. need the insider to give you those tools. Or mm-hmm. you're looking at a red line contract with legal. And so you're like, hey, maybe if I ask one of my legal team over here what they think of this line, they're going to tell me so I don't have to go bug my executive and mm-hmm. we can like work it out mm-hmm. amongst ourselves. So you you start to build those relationships so that when your donut order or your coffee order comes <laughs> in and you're running a board meeting and you're freaking out because you can't be in seven places at once, you know you've got that person on instant dial that's going to be like, sure, I can go down and get that for you, no problem. Or the number of times at one of my jobs where um, my my partner and I share a car. So we have always been fortunate enough that both of our works are within a reasonable amount of distance that we can carpool. I usually leave the car with him. So I have had my food deliveries be stopped at the entrance to our building by security and not be allowed in because the driver didn't have their driver's license. And I don't have a vehicle to go out to the entrance of the security and get it. And having to be like, who am I going to call? What am I going to do? And then thinking, oh, you know, that person that like is always like, sure, Joy, I can help you. Like mm-hmm. call him up, say, can you run out there and do this for me? And you have that instant, you know, exchange because you've invested the time and you've invested the, you know, the real into the relationship in order to make those calls and keep the wheels moving. And right. so um, for me, that's been the biggest part of realizing as an EA what I'm doing is pulling people together, connecting them, building those relationships in those different teams so that I can hear what's going on in the company and bring that back to the executive team, but be able to share out other vital things to those members of the company that are going to keep the company feeling stable and baseline and and calm. and right. And so being that conduit between those teams and and targeting the operations of the organization has really been like where I found my my kinship with people Mm -hmm. um, just in executing. And in the moments where you don't feel like you can get to all of the requests, right? And, And I and I know because, you know, I think it's not uncommon for executive assistants to have a lot of hyphens and slashes to their titles, right? And I think it's sort of understood, especially when you are this sole person, right? That that your role becomes really, really infinite in many ways. But sometimes, like as we discussed, there are there is just sort of like an upper limit on what you can accomplish and the number of people that you can advise or help, the number of um, types of situations or departments or issues or urgent matters that you can attend to at any given time. So when you've been in that type of a situation, like what are the ways that you've found to um, to push back or to kind of assert, you know, your your limits 
in a way that's effective, in a way that doesn't come across as inflexible or unwilling, but is also just you kind of pushing back and being practical about what you can actually achieve? I believe in in real transparency. So there's a moment where you just say, this is what I'm working on. And I'm telling you this is what I'm working on so you understand. I am not saying no because I don't want to do it. This has to be done in this time frame. And so I'm not going to be able to get to this. Or I have these five things lined up right now and your project seems like it's going to need to happen here. It's not going to slot in there. So I, I really do tell people and I over communicate. I sometimes joke it's my Midwesternness. Like I want to <laughs> give people hugs, and I want to always be like super transparent about everything. But in in those in being very sincere and transparent, I find that people understand that I'm saying no, not because I don't want to help them, but it's a I, I just I cannot. And let me help you problem solve. Who can? Mm-hmm. So that's the other piece of the equation that I always try to default to. You know, if HR called me and said, I need you to meet this candidate and host them for the day and take them to, you know, meet with all of these interviews. And I look at my day and I've got to get my executives in and out of, you know, X, Y, and Z meetings. And I know I'm going to either flake on this group or I'm going to flake on that group because I can't. Can't do it all. Can't do it all. Then I have to say, who actually wants to do that? Who wants to be move into that role or move into that phase or really like socializing with people and then can I help you give them the information that they need so they say yes. So not just saying a no and walking away or not just shutting somebody down and saying I can't but really continuing to problem solve because I think as EAs that's a big piece of why we're here. Can we, someone comes to us and says I need the meeting with the CEO right now and you're like well tell me more about the meeting. Can you give me more context? are you sure that this meeting should go to the CEO? Maybe we should walk down the hall and go over here and talk to so-and-so first and really just helping problem solve. So so I find saying no is fine, saying no with a lot of transparency of why I'm saying no. And then how can I help you find the right person? Um, some people will never receive that well. Some people will feel hurt and offended by you saying no to them and not picking them. Um, and you have to be okay with that too, because if you're keeping your priorities straight of I am here to support X, Y, and Z, this is what I'm doing my role for, and that's in your 75, 80% of the time, then it's okay to say no some of the time. And sometimes I've had to say to my executive, I'm going to say no to so-and-so on this right now. And I'm going to do that because I need to do these things. And I have to ask you to support me on that. Mm-hmm. Um and because you you sense that it's going to cause friction or whatever. So those those are the ways that I've looked at saying no and being okay with it. At first I wasn't. I mean, I would just keep saying yes and yes and yes. Um, but you do have to acknowledge at a certain point, you build an island for yourself when you do that too, right? You, you keep all the work to yourself. And the next thing you know, you don't know how to get out of right. the pile in order to like work with other people. Right, right. And the whole thing of being on an island, for anyone that's ever been to Hawaii, knows that there's finite resources and you can't just take everything on because eventually you run out of stuff, right? That's and, a great analogy. And that's why, you know, milk on in Hawaii costs like $9 because, you know, there's there's a scarcity. There's a scarcity of resources. So you, you really have to be mindful of that, right? Yeah. 
Um, but I really love that example. I think that's such a, um, a really intelligent way of handling that situation of not just like, hey, I'm sorry to use your example. Sorry, but you know, I'm, I'm just not available to facilitate these interviews. You know, good luck to you um, versus I'm not available to facilitate these interviews. But, you know, Elizabeth in, you know, whatever marketing team is really excited about, you know, whatever candidate experience. I know she's been working on, you know, a plan for this and this and this. And I'd love to tap her on the shoulder. That's just such a that's such a great, you know, solve for that situation. I think there's times in our work day, in our work month, in our career when we're able to look at um, other people's potential and really tap into that. And then the challenge is to do the same thing to ourselves. So as you were talking, I kept thinking of a story um, that happened to me where I really felt trapped. I really felt stuck on an island. I had planned this big board of directors retreat and we had about 30 people between the board and executives and everybody coming in. And I got up at seven in the morning. We had flying people on private jets, the whole nine yards. And I'd gotten up seven in the morning, ran to Kinko's because one of my board members had to have his packet printed. (laughs) I'm standing there with my coffee and I'm printing a packet and my phone just starts blowing up and everything has gone wrong. There's a massive storm front moving through the Pacific from Seattle down to LA and all of my planes are grounded all of my cars are stuck in traffic and I just wanted to cry it was the only thing I could think to do because I didn't know how to fix it I wasn't in my own town I didn't have resources I was completely trapped and I piled all of it on me right it was I had to do catering I had to do this I had to do that And then I looked down and my phone rings again and it's one of the board members, EAs, and she calls me and I'm like just losing my mind. And she's like, oh, but I can fix this for you. And I remember in that one moment, like everything shifting because she said, let me take this and I'll get the cars going in the right direction because I know the same vendor you're using and you can focus on this. And then everything shifted and everything changed. But I couldn't have gotten myself off that island Mm -hmm. because I was too piled with work. I was too piled with all the things that I had radically owned and was not going to let go of because I was going to (laughs) fail. And this person that I worked with once a month was Mm -hmm. like, you're not going to fail because I'm going to help you. So where are those moments that we can do the same thing for each other and, and also recognize those moments when you've just put yourself onto the island, not by your choice, but (laughs) because you keep saying yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, that's a pivotal moment in any EA's career development. I think very, very, from what I've learned in my years of speaking with EA's and, and, and working with EA's is I think very few people enter into this profession with that ability day one. It's, that is a learned trait of being able to assert yourself and, learn how to push back with finesse. I mean, we did we did an episode just about that very topic wow. because it, it is so important and it is such a vital um, and and it's it's a vital inflection point in in, a, in an EA's career. Yeah. And you have to fail a few times like and have your executive look at you and be like it's fine. <laughs> I was joking with another colleague the other day where I sent my boss to Sydney. Australia from here in the Bay Area in San Francisco, and I didn't get him a visa. 
he called me from Los Angeles at like eight o'clock at night with like, hey, do you have my visa? And I had no idea you needed a visa to go to Sydney. And I was just crushed. And then someone tapped me on the shoulder and was like, you can just apply for it online. Here you go. And like we fixed it. And then he flew back and he was like, oh, it was no big deal. Me, I thought it was the end of the world. Like you have to have those moments, I think, as your career is growing in order to look back on them later and be like, oh, wow, that was hysterical. I thought the sky was falling and it was it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. So you recently accepted fairly recently accepted your new role and you started onboarded during the midst of covid. Um, Can you tell us about your experience of onboarding to a new company and working 100% remotely, but specific, because there's a lot that you could say about that. But I, I think specifically in the context of kind of this feeling of um, of isolation and loneliness and kind of how you have been able to um, create allies and, and form allies, even in a very remote and siloed fashion. There's a bit of you that needs to be willing to put yourself out there even though it's not comfortable. So there's there's a piece of the onboarding and getting up to speed and and hitting, you know, velocity that is like I have to go pop in this Slack channel and say, "Hi, y'all don't know me." Or I have to join this meeting and just sit in the meeting in the background because I see it on my calendar and I see these 20 people I've never met before and at least then people are going to know that I'm here. Like that is a really uncomfortable thing to kind of do because if you're used to being in the office, you're used to someone saying, come over with me and I'm going to introduce you to somebody. You know, you think about those first days of work and people ferry you around or pull you into meetings. Um, I was very fortunate in this new role that um, my executive that I'm supporting and two other executives that I'm partnering with as well saw it as vital to add me to things early, even though I had no acronyms that I understood. Like we all know you start a new company, you get a whole like Bible full of acronyms and you're like, what do I do with all of these? But they were like, no, we're going to be intentional and put you in to these meetings so people start to see you. And then I had to make those same choices. Um, I distinctly remember like my second week I was wrestling with something in a calendar and one of my colleagues just like threw a Zoom link over to me and was like, jump on Zoom, I'll show you. And I was like, I'm in like sweats and like, she's like, just jump on Zoom. And she was sitting in her bed And she was like, I'm just in my bed on Zoom and I'm going to just show you this right now. And she like showed me this and fixed it for me. So that vulnerability of like, it's different. It's it's not nine to five getting up and, and going to the office and coming home. So you have to just kind of like accept that like I'm going to pop on a Zoom and my hair is not going to be perfect. But like making those opportunities to do that really moved things forward and then carving out time in those first weeks to learn about the company and the company's culture, whether that's through videos or blogs or talking to people, intentionally going, hmm, that person's been here 17 years. Maybe I should have a coffee with them and find out, like, what has it been like for 17 years with this organization when I'm, you know, employee 5,700 and whatever and... (laughs) So really like choosing those strategies and and thinking about them ahead of time and giving yourself the space to not know. I even think I'm at month five right now 
on Monday. It'll be five months. And, like, I still say I'm new. Just accepting the fact that I'm probably going to be new even when we go back to the office because I will have never seen an office. I will have never met anyone face to face. So just, you know, kind of owning that. And then finding – I did a search in LinkedIn to find some of my um, colleagues that I'd worked with at other jobs who work 100 percent from home Hmm. all the time. And I said – what, what have you done to like feel like you can be included, to, to feel like you can lean into an organization when everyone else goes to the office or has this shared office experience and you don't? So it's, it's changing the narrative of the situation, just like getting off the island when you feel like you're the only you, – you are the sole EA and you don't know how to work, you know, get out of that. Like the same thing, change the narrative of, yes, I'm working from home. Yes, I'm only on a video camera. Yes, my whole onboarding was in front of this little screen. But then instead, just how do I invest? How do I lean in? So then people in turn, um, you know, reciprocate that. And so that intentionality has been there have been days when it's been great and I've been awesome at it. And then there are days when I'm like, I don't want to talk to anyone today. Mm-hmm. But that's just, you know, that's just life. That's the way that goes. So, but I think the three jobs that got me here prepared me in many ways to accept onboarding virtually and hiring virtually and all of it just as another opportunity for growth, another opportunity to strategically build relationships, another opportunity to um, be even better at what I do. So, um, in your current role, you know, and you and you hinted at this. You know, your organization Atlassian is in the thousands and thousands of people. Um, you've also worked for companies where they were quite boutique, mm-hmm. right? And organizations where they were quite boutique. So, um, you, you're kind of in the opposite situation in that your organization now there's I think like you know 45 admins. 28 of whom are executive assistants. That's very different experientially than being the one and only executive assistant. So how how is this experience different um, than being a department of one? Do you feel more resource? Do you feel a greater sense of collaboration? Um, or do you still find that there's um, elements of, of loneliness or isolation that you have to wrestle with? Um, even in a, such a large organization? I think those early weeks, yes. I would answer definitely that the sense of isolation, the like I'm going to sit in my little corner of my dining room and work at my little computer and, and everything is just the same as feeling like you're by yourself. You're working like in your one-man team. Um, and I will go back to the beginning of our conversation and say it's still about – shifting your thinking and shifting your mindset. So yes, I have this 45 group person Slack channel that I can reach out to when I don't know how to open a PO, which before would be like, who do I ask? I don't know who to ask. I'm the only person here. Um, Or the other day I was wrestling with how do I put an electronic signature into this document when we don't have Adobe and I never asked my boss for his signature before. And, And my friend was like, oh, here, I have, you know, I have a write-up I did and I'm going to send it to you. Um, So there is the unlimited resources now and people who've walked through the experience before me. But I I feel that there's still this element of mindset shift that you have to push yourself out of the I'm all alone or the Eeyore moments into this is my team. 
this is my resources, whether my team is finance, legal, HR, facilities, that giant team of the company, or my team is this 45 pool of admins that I now get to work with on a daily basis, it still is the breaking out of the mindset more so than it is the actual circumstances of being the only person with that title, I guess, mm-hmm. is is how I see it. And so I've had a both experience. It's just been faster getting out of the feeling alone because I have this chatty group of 45 people who are like, hey, let's have lunch on Zoom together. Hey, let's do this or that together. And, um, I, you know, I just kind of shove myself off of the I'm by myself in my house into the Yes, I'm going to be social and I'm going to be part of this this group and this is my tribe now and you know, we're going to work in this organization together and there are people who've broken a system before me so they're going to teach me how to unbreak it if I mm-hmm. do it wrong. Um so that that is a really that's a luxury and it's something that I wanted to fight for. So when I left my last role, a key part of moving into this role was I wanted to I wanted to have an admin team. I didn't mm-hmm. anticipate the overabundance of 45 of us right. and growing, but I was really looking for that in my career um, to be an EA with a bunch of other EAs helping a company succeed and helping a company grow. And so that was a conscious career choice for me and something that I find a lot of a lot of joy and a lot of value in doing now. Yeah, and I like what you what you said about the mindset shift. I mean, there's there's definitely, um, I think there's a, a number of EAs that we meet that say things like, you know, I I, I don't want to be the only person um, that does what I do at a company. I mean, I've, I've definitely heard that statement made many, many, many times. And of course, there's you know certainly legitimate reasons for that and and for feeling that way. But I also think like what you said, it's also it's also a mindset shift and it's a perspective. And so you know it. it it's also about availing yourself of the abundance of resources that are out there, whether those resources carry the same title as you or not, you know, may or may not be the case, but, but it's, it's, it's kind of coming from a place of, yes, there are resources available to me. There are individuals who are willing to help me and, and, and be an asset to me. Um, you just might have to kind of re- reframe how you think about them. Yeah. So as we wind down our conversation about um, about what it means to be alone or not alone uh, in the EA role, there's there's a final question that we like to ask our guests, which is uh, if you could support anyone throughout the course of history or time, who would you choose to support and why? I'd go back and I would want to support somebody like Eleanor Roosevelt, who mm. was doing such amazing things with human rights and, you know, moved the United States into working in um, the in with the United Nations and partnering on that global scale for human rights and really partnering with somebody like that in order to empower them to do more and have more bandwidth to to be even bigger impact than they already were. Uh, I love that answer. <laughs> That's a fantastic answer. Well, this has been great, Joy. I feel like your parents named you very appropriately, or maybe you grew to fulfill the destiny that was your name. (laughs) Thank you for being a part of this discussion, and thank you for sharing your experience with us. Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff 
to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www.mavenrec.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.